The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. The scripture this morning is found in Luke 15, 11 through 32. <clears throat> it can be found on page 84 of the Bibles under your chairs, or you can follow along on the screen. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into, <clears throat> into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came, <clears throat> and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go. In his father came out and entreated him. But his father he answered, excuse me. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this was your brother who was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Surprise! Didn't expect to see me up here today, did you? Well, I had uh, asked Randy when I learned that we were going to be doing Luke whether I could uh, do the prodigal son chapter. And he said yes. So we should get going before Dale and Randy figure out what a big mistake they've made and come to their senses and the hook comes and off I go. So for the next 30-some minutes, you're in the hands 
of a knuckle-dragging ninja gearhead. And if you don't get the reference, just see me after the service. I'll make sure I explain that to you. I love this parable. I love it because the prodigal is the essence of the gospel. Today, we're going to see rebellion, repentance, and redemption. And before any of us judge the prodigal too severely, just look in the mirror. You will find the prodigal looking back at you. We're all prodigals. We've all rebelled. And today we're going to meet a shepherd, a widow, and a prodigal. We're also going to learn the three R's of these parables. Rebellion, repentance, and redemption. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, those, that sequence, rebellion, repentance, redemption, is what I want you to remember. Now, I've done a lot of things in my life. One of them was write books. And one of the things that was kind of drilled into my head was you had to understand your audience. And in order to understand what's happening with these three parables, you have to first look at the audience. Who is God talking to? And we see, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, can you just see these Pharisees? They're sitting there with their arms folded, tapping their toes, looking down their nose at these people, wagging their fingers, because Christ is talking to sinners and tax collectors, not the Pharisees. And the, and the, and the Pharisees just can't understand why he even associates with these people. One of the things that I find about scripture is that it defines itself. And professionally, I'm a database administrator. And one of the properties of a relational database is self-definition. So what are we really talking about? And I went to Luke 18, and there's a section in there where there's a, a tax collector, and I see him kind of back there in the shadows under one of those big stone arches looking down. And up front is a Pharisee. And he's sitting there kind of with his thumbs behind his suspenders, kind of walking back and forth. And he goes and he says, God, you are so lucky to have me. I thank you. I'm not like the other people, swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even this tax collector back there. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. Aren't you lucky to have me? But then you've got the tax collector sitting back there like this. And he says, God, be merciful to me. Because I'm a sinner. Who is God listening to? Who is God talking to? These are the two audiences we have for these three parables. The super righteous legalistic Pharisees and sinners. Who recognize their need for a loving God and for redemption. So I've got three parables. The lost sheep the lost coin, 
and the prodigal son. And to understand the depth of love demonstrated in the prodigal, we need to understand the first two parables. The prodigal almost stands alone as a parable that encapsulates the gospel. Remember? Rebellion. Repentance. Redemption. That all happens in the prodigal. But first, the lost sheep. Now, sheep are cute from a distance. But when you get to know them, you discover that they're obstinate, nearsighted, smelly beasts. They tend to be head down, chomping through the grass, and it's no wonder they get lost. The Bible is replete with shepherds. First, we have Moses. Now, we tend to gloss over Moses the shepherd, but he was a shepherd for 40 years, the 40 years between being a prince of Egypt and leading the people of Israel. And it was probably pretty good training because he was tending sheep, obstinate, nearsighted, smelly beasts in the middle 40 years of his life. So in the last 40 years of his life, when he was leading the children of Israel, he had pretty good training and knew what to do. Then there was David. Before he slew Goliath, Philistines, and other bad guys, before he became king, before all that is recorded about his life, David was a shepherd. And he defended the flock with a slingshot. Got pretty good at it, I hear. And when the angels came to announce the birth of our Savior, they appeared to shepherds and the flocks in the hills. And those shepherds hurried to go see the Lamb of God. So shepherds are something that people understood. There was a, it was a, um, an analogy, a, a profession that people understood who they were. This last fall, Kathy and I got to tour Ireland, and we discovered that Ireland has plenty of rocks, rainbows, potatoes, sheep, and Guinness. I'm not quite sure where the Guinness falls in that list, but they have a lot of it. The one other thing they have is a very active Krylon salesman, paint. You see, we're driving along in the bus, and I look out, and I see these green fields, I see these sheep, and I said, those sheep look a little green to me. And then we went further on down, and I said, boy, those sheep look a little blue. And then I saw some more sheep, and I said, those sheep look a little red. And I realized after when we got close to them, I saw that they were spray painting the sheep with green dots, with red dots, blue dots. Some sheep had green and blue dots. Some sheep had green and red dots. But it was done so that the shepherds could keep track of what had happened to those sheep. And it isn't wonderful that God doesn't need to spray us with paint to figure out where we're at. So, they, they, you know, those sheep look pretty silly with paint all over, all over their backs. So in the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd goes out to find a sheep. And, you know, it's one out of 99. Now, how, how he even knew without the Krylon salesman there handing him out paint that he had a missing sheep, I don't know, but he did. And he went and found that one obstinate, nearsighted, smelly beast. And he didn't need a green dot to figure that out. And what is the payoff of that parable? I tell you, 
In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What is the takeaway here? That one obstinate, nearsighted, smelly sheep, look in the mirror, was of infinite value to an infinite God, and so are all of us. Keep that in mind, because we're going to go on to the lost coin. So as some of you know, I have a garage in Conway. It has all sorts of tools and banners, cars, and all sorts of neat guy stuff. And I've been in the process of building a car. And there's lots of details, so losing something is pretty common. In fact, I can have a coffee cup in my hand, gloves on my head, glasses on my head, and a screwdriver in this hand, walk 10 feet and lose everything. Turn around and have no idea where they are. It might take me five, 10 minutes to find them, or if it really gets bad, I sit down and order a new part from Amazon because I can't find what I just lost. <clears throat> this can happen several times an hour, so it could get a little expensive. <sighs> but here was this woman, and she had 10 silver coins, and she lost one of them. That was 10% of her net worth. She lost them. And she was in a panic, and any of us would be in a panic if suddenly 10% of our money just vanished. It may seem like a small thing to us to lose one coin, but this was a big, big deal to her. And she lights lamps, and she sweeps, and she scurries all over the house until she finds it, that one coin, and rejoices. God is interested in things like that. He's interested in the things that are important to you. He's interested in the joy this woman has when she finds that lost coin. And Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Kind of getting a little theme here going. So what's the takeaway here? Takeaway is an infinite God has an infinite interest in the things that we are about. He loves us. Okay. So here we come to the prodigal son. Another title for the prodigal son is the lost son. So I think we're seeing a pattern here. We got a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. However, in this case, we're not talking about an animal or a piece of property. We're talking about a son, flesh and blood. Someone made in the very image of God. Someone of infinite value to the creator God. I love this parable. It is the essence of the gospel. And Jonathan observed when he learned that I was preaching on this, is, well, they must have needed an expert. Well, that's true. We're all experts. We're all prodigals. We're all lost. And if you're not sure about that, just check the mirror again. So here we have this scene. We have a father. He has two sons. 
One which follows all the rules, never gets in trouble. Okay. And then there's one who's the wild child. I take you back to the audience for these three parables. We have the Pharisees and scribes. Kind of like the people who are never in trouble. And then there's the rest of us, tax collectors and sinners. Just as an aside, have you ever noticed tax collectors and sinners? Why not just sinners? But tax collectors seem to have a special spot there. Anyway, uh, we'll leave that for another, another time. This isn't an accident. This is intentional because both groups, he wants to reach both groups. He wants to reach the sinners and he wants to reach the Pharisees. That's why, he's taught, that's why he's going through these three parables. And we have the benefit of an historical perspective here. We know about the crucifixion. We know about the resurrection. We know about the ascension. We know that Jesus died for our sins. We know that our sins are forgiven. We know that we gain redemption through the free gift of salvation. But they knew none of this. None of that had happened yet. So Jesus talked to them in parables, in stories, in probably things that he had seen a thousand times from his throne in heaven. From a Jewish perspective, when the younger son comes and says to his father, give me my share, that share would have been one-third of all the wealth of that father. Now this just wasn't done. You didn't go ask for your inheritance before the father was in the ground. This was crude. It was audacious. Just wasn't done. And this would cause a break in the family. Because here's the older son, you know, the guy over here. He's never done anything wrong. And the younger son, who's obviously a good-for-nothing, always in trouble, always doing something wrong, and again, he's doing something wrong here. This would have caused even a greater break between those two parts of the family. And once he had done this, and the father gave him his money, you'd never show your face around there again. It was that kind of situation. And the older son definitely did not agree with giving any money to the younger son. So what happened? Well, now we come back to the three R's. The first one being rebellion. This is rebellion. Not long after that, the son got together all that he had and set out in a dis- for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. So he took off. He had great wealth and no wisdom. Let's put this in modern terms. And in my little cartoon bubble of a mind, I see him driving away in a Lambo with $100 bills just kind of fluttering out the back window. I'm not sure the back window's open on that, but maybe the side. Anyway, just roaring away. You know, in his day, he probably had a big, nice stallion and you know, servants to carry his stuff and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, off he goes. And we can see him blowing his fortune on prostitutes, hangers, honors, 
all manners of extravagances, no investments, nothing tucked away for a rainy day. He just spent and spent and spent until there was nothing left. I think this is best described in Keith Green's Prodigal Son Suite, the lyric that goes, not too many days later, I was well on my way. You can get far in a Lambo in a couple of days. I met a traveling stranger who seemed to have much to say. He told me tales of the city and all the women he'd had, and I asked him, wasn't that sinful? And he said, no, it isn't that bad. Isn't that the devil's great lie? Don't we mask sin by calling it something else, making it something else, never using the word sin? This was the last clear thought the prodigal seemed to have for a while. And we, ourselves, we spend and spend and spend until there's nothing left. And then death comes knocking. And if we haven't taken the time to develop a relationship with God, then what do we have at the end of our lives? Remember, we're still talking about rebellion here. Nothing but an ash heap on the road to hell. The prodigal had nothing redemptive in his life. And when the money was gone, so was everything and everyone else. That's what sin does. It leaves you empty and broken on the ground. And where did that leave the prodigal? Well, the Lambo's gone. The fine clothes have turned to rags. There are no more $100 bills. And then, a severe famine hit the land, and he ended up feeding pigs. Not himself, pigs. God crushed the prodigal's rebellion because God loves the prodigal, just as he loves all of us. So now we come to the second R, repentance. Think of it. The prodigal. He went from the lifestyle of the rich and famous to wearing rags, feeding pigs, and looking at what the pigs were eating and thinking, no, that doesn't look too bad. You've got to look at what pigs eat before you get there. And he figured out that the pigs were eating better than he was. And like a great storm devastating a coastline, everything was ripped away from the prodigal. He was destitute. He had nothing left but his thoughts. He had nothing but time and hunger and poverty. And in this very, very terrible moment, he had a moment of clarity. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Doesn't seem too good. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, a, make me one of your hired servants. 
And so he got up and he went to his father. God destroyed his wealth. God destroyed his economy. God brought a great famine. And all of this, all of this, to get the prodigal's attention. All of this for one sinner's soul. And he came to his senses. And he realized his error. And he, re and he realized his loss. Not the money or the lifestyle, but of his home. You see, there is tremendous security in the hand of God. He is a mighty fortress, a high tower. He is a shield. And the prodigal sees his error. And what does repentance mean? It means rethinking, thinking, turning around to see the right way in this case. He sees his errors. And he thinks, maybe, maybe, because it's not a sure thing. You know, let's go back to the beginning here. He asked for a third of the inheritance. He went and burned. He could have burned the Lambo and the $100 bills on the front lawn and gotten as much out of it as what he'd done. He squandered this money. He, this, this vast fortune was just wasted. That's what he had done. And he had done this in such an audacious and irreverent manner. And yet, he's going back and he's saying, maybe I can be a hired servant. Not a sure thing. He's, he's left this city, this far country, and he's turned back to his father. And this is the moment spoken in the first two parables. When angels are celebrating over the repentance, over the salvation of one sinner. But he didn't return in the same manner as leaving. I mean, he didn't have a car to drive or a horse to ride. He had to walk back home. Sandals were falling apart. He was wearing rags. And he probably smelled pretty bad. And here we come to the best part of this parable. Redemption. The payoff of everything. This is the part I don't want you to miss. Now, I see the prodigal having to walk down this very long road. One of those roads where you can kind of look down and you don't see a hill, you don't see a valley, you just see a road and it just goes on and on and on forever. And you never think you're going to get to it, get to the end of it, and you're walking and you're probably barefoot by this point in time because the sandals have totally fallen apart. But what was the father doing? The father had every right to spurn, reject, ignore, and claim, I don't know who you are. Had every right to do that. Because he had rebelled. In the worst, one of the worst possible ways. And yet, the father was waiting for him. I see the father sitting on his front porch. Looking down this same road. 
you know, and it's probably hot. You know, there's kind of heat shimmers and stuff and, and stuff. And it's kind of like how God is waiting for us. And the father's prayed. He's probably prayed many, many times. He probably thinks his prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. He probably thinks God isn't there to listen to him, that God doesn't care about his son. And we don't know how long this was, but we know it took a long time to, to spend all this money. It took a long time for this famine to take place and for him to come to his senses. And it probably took a long time to walk back home. You know, and then the father saw a glimmer in the horizon, maybe just a puff of dirt. He's looking. It looks a little harder. Then he saw his son. This boy, this flesh and bone. So far off down this road, dressed in rags, terribly thin, and crushed. Does the father say, well, that's that, I'm done, off? No, that's not what the father does. What the father does, and it says, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Think about that. Isn't that what God is doing when we repent? Isn't that what redemption is? And a feast was thrown in celebration. The prodigal did not deserve any of this. It was his undeserved. But Salvation is a free gift. We don't earn salvation. It's a free gift. Redemption is a free gift. He had done everything. The prodigal had done everything to be spurned. And yet we see this joy. Again, in, in Keith Green wrote in his his prodigal son, sweet, he said, bring the best robe, put it on my son. Shoes for his feet, hurry, put them on. This is my son who I thought had died. Prepare a feast for my son's alive. Not death. We're celebrating life here. We're celebrating redemption. Of course, there's the older brother. Now, let's go back to, we'll just remind you, we have this audience. The wild child and the kid who never did anything wrong. So now we're talking about the kid who never did anything wrong. And he's not happy. Because here he sees his father slaughtering cattle and throwing big parties and doing all this sort of thing for this no good brother of his who took all this money and wasted all this money and did all these bad things and had broken the law and the rules. 
something that the older brother never deviated from. Is this not like the Pharisees? Isn't this the legalism that they imposed on people? There's no mercy. There's no compassion in legalism. And he goes to his father. This father who is so joyful at his son who he has just found on the road. Who he's put, he's throwing this great feast for. This joy, the son that he's prayed for. And he complains to his father. He says, you know, what are you doing? This, this, this brother of mine, he... We shouldn't even call him a brother. He, he wasted all this money. He's wasted all your things. He did this to you. Why are you doing this? The father says, my son, you were always with me. Everything I have is yours. Nothing had ever been taken away from the older brother. His inheritance had never been touched. And everything that the father had was available to the older brother. Then he goes on and says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. Dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. Just like that shepherd who found the hundredth sheep, or the widow who found the tenth coin? The son had been found. There's no equivocation. Again, the father said, all that I have is yours. Think of that. Now, we don't know what happened with the older brother. Some say he couldn't resolve his anger. They could not find it in his heart to rejoice that his brother had been redeemed. Did his heart remain a heart of stone or did it become flesh? So what's this look like in real life? Let me tell you about Robin. I've known Robin for 35 to 40 years. When I first met Robin, I can safely say that God wasn't very important. At best, he was a nominal person who went to church haphazardly, was working on making the mortgage payment. Life did not revolve around a faith concept. You might call this passive rebellion. You don't have to do heinous things to be in rebellion. You just have to ignore God and think we can make it on our own. Life goes on. People drift in and out of our lives, and somewhere along the way, Robin's rebellion changed to repentance, and he turned back to God. Just like the prodigal came to the end of himself. We know all the angels in heaven were celebrating on that day that Robin turned back to God. Okay, nothing too special here yet. Last May, Robin was diagnosed with liver cancer. Three months later, the diagnosis came to the conclusion that there was nothing left that they could do for him. 
case was terminal. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the nice things we say either are real or just some facade we've managed for however long. As recently as last Friday, the day before yesterday, we learned that what he thought were gallstones were really necrotic spots on his liver, which is a lot worse than gallstones. Last week, Kathy and I had lunch with Rob and his wife, Linda. And cancer is a vicious disease. He's dropped 65 pounds. He's wearing hearing aids. His appetite is off. We talked about the legacy he wants to leave his children. He talked about the weddings he was going to miss and the grandchildren he would never meet. Then he said something very interesting. You see, he's become part of a Timothy ministry where he's the Timothy and there's a Paul that's working with him. And Robin's been making this legacy chest for his kids and the grandkids he's not going to meet. Things he wants to put in as a remembrance of his family. And the Paul in his life asked him, are you going to include your testimony? Well, he hadn't really thought about it. And, you know, in Robin's typical way, you know, he said that. And then he stopped and he said, you know what I want to say to people? Are you ready to die? Now, I can say that and you go, okay, fine. When you hear those words from somebody with a terminal disease, I saw the entire scope of the prodigal story, rebellion, repentance, redemption. So I'm going to look at all of you and ask you the same question. Are you ready to die? Have you made your peace with God? Where are you on the spectrum of rebellion, repentance, or redemption? So don't be the older brother. Don't be the Pharisee or scribe. Recognize that we stand in the crowd of sinners and tax collectors. Don't live in rebellion. Don't pause in repentance. Run straight into redemption. Because there's a loving God running towards you. There's a legion. Legion's a lot of, a lot of guys. A legion of angels ready to celebrate. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, remember this. The prodigal was lost. That was his rebellion. The prodigal came to the end of himself. That was his repentance. And the prodigal begged forgiveness. That was his redemption. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. 
we invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.